professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 57, Great American Bash 1991. Legend versus Legacy. Great American Bash was the third annual Great American Bash produced by the WCW, but the seventh overall bash. So third, oh, but were that still annual, even though it used to be a different format? I <laughs> yeah, I'll still call it. Yeah, annual. you just threw me off for a second, and I was like, wait a second. But no, yeah, this is like the third Great American Bash pay per view. Actually, I think it's the fourth one, but it's the third one by WCW because it used to be JCP slash NWA. But it would take place on July 14th, 1991 at the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. And the attendance was 9,320. That's a, that's a banger. That's, I that's guess a they're... pretty good number for WCW, but it feels like a low number for Baltimore. For what? Oh, for Baltimore? Uh, what are the num- numbers in Baltimore normally? Are they think... like... I think last year's Great American Bash was 16,000. Oh, oh, my God. That, that's the number that I had in my head, too. It's like Baltimore is like definitely, you know, WCW town. That's a hell of a, of a drop if that's the case. Great American Bash 1990. So one year previously in the in, same exact arena yeah. was 14,000. Oh, my God. What was the headlining match there? Oh, you would ask me that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just curious because I I know it was probably great. I mean, it was probably Flair versus Sting. Yeah. What the world needs. Yeah, that was Sting's win over Flair. Cool. Yeah. To win this Good. first Good. championship. They yeah they earned they earned all fourteen thousand people. Exactly. So things that were happening around the same time as Great American Bash 1991. There were four movies released into the theater this very weekend. Yeah. 101 Dalmatians. Well, I know I saw saw that one in the theater as a little kid. Boys in the Hood. Didn't see that one as a little kid. (laughs) No, you definitely didn't see that one. (laughs) Guarding Henry and Point Break. What a weekend. You know what rules? Fucking Point Break. I mean, Boys in the Hood. I mean, tech, great. Also, a great movie, but it's more serious. Point Break is a fucking blast. I agree. This is the movie that puts Keanu on the map. He, uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know what else he's in before this. I mean, Bill and Ted. Maybe Bill and like, Ted. But this is him not doing, you know, not being Blackie, Bill and Ted. Comedy. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, he's not known for comedy except for Bill and Ted, which both those movies are great. Um, Patrick Swayze, one of I think one of his last films, possibly. No, not in a way. So I thought Swayze did all kinds of stuff past ninety one, right? One of his last great films. 
I don't Sh- know. Should yeah, I, I say it that way? I'm not. I haven't watched enough. Like you know, Roadhouse rules. But I think but that there's not a lot of Swayze the... I've seen. I've never seen Ghost. You've never seen Ghost? No. Why would I watch Ghost? Because Ghost is great. Maybe I'll have to put it on. Put it on. Uh, it's, it's up there with Godfather, man. <laughs> I'm sure. I'll put it. I'll I'll watch Ghost before I finally sit down and watch the Godfather movies. But uh, remember the Hundred and One Dalmatians, Nick McDonald's toys. Yes. My I think my aunt tried to collect them all. Okay, very so literally, very silly, very like white trashy thing to do. So literally, there's only like three movies after. I'm not saying that Swayze. Swayze died or anything. I'm just saying that he only He's had like three, three good movies after after Point Break. All right. It was Tu Wong Fu, which is a oh, great movie. I never saw Tu Wong uh, Fu. I remember the trailer very, very strongly. But he did Black Dog, which is that. that was that was probably the last like starring feature that was somewhat well known at the really? time and that was in 98 so that's not eight seven years later damn and then he did he was a side bit in donnie darko and that's probably the last oh he's like, great at, he's great in that movie and i don't even really like that movie i mean that's the last probably like big movie yeah. that he was in my and favorite was in thing and that's a small you know small production it's just big because it uh became a cult phenomenon yeah, because it blew up, basically. Uh, I will say my favorite thing about that movie is soundtrack. Because it's all like Tears for Fears and Echo oh, in the Bunnymen. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I'm just here for the songs, man. Anyone ever but, uh, shits on Tears for Fears, I just go, here's here's this album. Yeah, Tales from the Big Chair. Or the Greatest Hits. But Tales for the Big Chair is like kind of a Greatest Hits. But what's regarding Henry? I don't know regarding Henry. Regarding Henry was a... Harrison Ford flick. He's a lawyer who loses his memory and must relearn speech and mobility, but he has a loving family to support him in Annette Benning. Uh, I love Annette Benning. It's a Mike Nichols film written okay. by J.J. Abrams, by a very young J.J. Abrams. That All of that just piqued my interest. Like, Mike Nichols is a guy, but yeah, on paper, that's like the... That's that's a weird movie that I've never heard of, but you know maybe I'll have to get on that. I'll, I'll be honest, I've never seen it. So. Yeah, I will I just say, know I, that it's Harrison, it's Harrison Ford, so I was like, it belongs in this in four movies as a as kind of a blockbuster weekend of movies yeah. that got released. Uh, Point Break is Catherine Bigelow, who was married to James Cameron, and one of the few movies I've watched in uh, our in in my COVID mania is. Near Dark? Yeah. Have you, ever, have you ever seen Near Dark? I can't say that I have. It fucking rules. It's like a hillbilly vampire western starring Lance Hendrickson and like probably my favorite Bill Paxton performance. And that sounds fun. Which, yeah, I highly suggest it. Whether that gets cut or not, uh, we've got wrestling to talk about. <laughs> so we're headed off to the show. We get footage from outside the arena with fans cheering. The camera's walking in to get a pair of tickets and through the curtain to show the crowd before the logo explodes onto this the screen. Easily the best intro we've got from any wrestling show we've watched so far. I agree. I agree. Like, the camera coming well, through the crowd. Than, other than maybe like, 
getting the tickets and like them selling popcorn and shit. It's so good. Other than maybe getting the Wrestle War rap song. Okay. Well, they're tied for first. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, <coughs> the Wrestle War one. One of my friends came by to like grab something when I was watching that show and like taking notes on it. And I like kind of just started it up and uh, I, I was like, Hey man, you got to see this. And I like rewinded it. And he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> He's like, that was incredible. Uh, and yeah, so those that, yeah. And like, I'm putting those both up against any of the WWF intros as well. Oh yeah. Like just in all of the shows that we've watched, and I think this, like, the rap one is amazing because it's so bad and cringy yeah. and just, like, weird and of the time. But this one is, like, legitimately, like, intelligent and, and like, well done. And it's like, right. oh, like, that's cool. Like, you bought your ticket to go to the show, like, and we're bringing you into the arena. And, like, it really adds to the experience. It's nice. So we're going to head off to our first match. We got the Rap Master PN News. And beautiful Bobby Eaton versus stunning Steve Austin and the computerized man of the 1990s, Terrence Taylor with Lady Blossom in a capture the flag scaffold match. Yeah, she doesn't have a big old hat on. Where's <laughs> her big hat? <laughs> not, not quite the same Blossom. No, uh, definitely not. One's a child. A child. But, okay, first things first. Steve Austin. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I mean, who's PN News? No, first, who's PN News? You got anything? Um, he's, I have nothing on PN News. He is just a fat man that has a rap gimmick? Yes. Okay. Second things, second. What do they do to my boy? Who's your boy? Bobby they put him in this match well didn't he just have a title so austin had won the television championship a little over a month before this show from eaton so austin and eaton were a little in a little bit of a feud over the television title wouldn't it have been great if we just got that match i mean yes it (laughs) would have been much better if we just gotten that match i'm so upset so first of all, yeah. Steve Austin is a professional wrestling WWE and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer because he he drinks beer later on in his career. I mean, yeah. you might know you might know him. He drinks beer and sells T-shirts. He's and, not and quote he's, scripture. He's he's the guy that's not the suck it guy. He definitely. Not. <laughs> Or the eyebrow guy. He's not the eyebrow guy or the sucker guy. He's the he's the beer guy. So they tell us the rules for this match, and each team has two ways to win. Mm, either they, capture, they added this. You had to either capture the opposing team's flag or knock an opponent to the mat. We get told Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone are announcers, or they at Which least start talking, and I know who I, I know who they are. Where's Dusty? He's in the back, man. I know, but you can't put two milk toast fucks on the microphone. I mean, you well, can and you're going to. That's what WCW does. I had a little bit of levity on the last show. So, 
everyone comes out to the ring and they start, they take their time getting up to the scaffold area. The scaffold looks about three feet wide with wooden planks on top. Which they put over over the steel because they're like, oh, it used to be steel. Yeah. Now it's wood. The bell rings and Bobby makes his way out onto the wooden planks and Taylor looks to go out but ends up going down to his knees and then crawling back to his to his home base, basically. Stunning Steve then goes out and Bobby and him hand fight before locking up. And Austin with an eye rake, some right hands, but Eaton retaliates with a face plant. And Steve's legs are off, hanging off the side of the scaffold while Bobby's hitting him across the back. Austin's back up on the scaffold and him and Terrence back Bobby up. But PN News makes his way out. So Stunning Steve and Taylor go back to their side. The Rat Master banks his way across, hitting Terrence to knocking back onto their base. Pianus is crawling over Taylor and makes <laughs> it to his opponent's base and begins to brawl with Austin. Eaton then pulls Terrence over to his base and they begin to brawl there. Stunning Steve with the takedown of the Rat Master, stomping on his back and his legs are draped over the side. JR then describes Pianus as a big turtle on the back of his shell. <laughs> Taylor and Eaton make their way back over for all four to brawl in the same place. Pianus and Taylor, uh, the Ratmaster, just pushing them onto the base, taking Austin with them, which allows beautiful Bobby to grab the flag. He hits Stunning Steve across the back with it before walking back over to his base, which I was like, okay, so they won. Yeah. But the bell doesn't ring. No, and then it's like, I was like, oh, they won, right? And then it keeps... Going. and then eventually we they say that they won austin then climbs down the scaffold to be handed an fo from lady blossom but on his way back up eaton has come back over to hit him with the flag again stunning steve looks to a misted beautiful bobby with hairspray sending him back over to his base followed by taylor the announce the ring announcer then comes on and tells us that PN News and Beautiful Bobby are the winners. As everyone starts climbing down the scaffold. Everyone then starts brawling in the ring and around ringside for a moment. Terrence gets hip-tossed by the rip, rap master. And then everyone just kind of leaves. I have two notes for this. I, like a seance in church. It was fucking bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was just supposed to be a scaffold match. But no one wanted to take a risky fall, so they then added the capture the flag stipulation, which didn't really work out because everyone just wants to see someone yeah. go fall, yeah, fall off the scaffold. I will say the only good thing about this match is that, like, oh, they're really high up. That's really narrow. It is legitimately scary because you don't want to see anybody fall off of that. Like, I just don't want to see anybody get hurt like that. The only good scaffold match is the one where Jim Cornette fucking broke his tailbone. Exactly. And like it is and he's not even good and it, yeah, and it shouldn't have been good, but it was good because you know, because but this one is taller for sure. And I feel like it's a crime and should be illegal to put PN News up there. He's too big and too unathletic to be up there. And then and say it, but he gets across from from the face end to the heel end with Bob with his hand behind him and Bobby Eaton stabilizing him by holding his hand. Yeah. Because like, yeah, it's just 
it's like so dangerous and nobody cares. And that's the worst. Like if you're going to do something dangerous, it's got to be, there's got to be, people have to care. You have to get, otherwise it's just like negligent. And uh, this is not how I wanted to see Stunning Steve in WCW. This is not what I wanted to happen to my boy Bobby Eaton. And uh, I'm glad that PN News is safe. But for my mental safety, I hope I never see him again. So I don't bring up Dave Melter a lot on this show. But every once in a while. You recognize his uh, HOF. That's true. Uh, yeah, but I, I I use because I mean some people have issues with him. He's been around long enough that I at least respect his opinion. Yeah, same way I, I feel about uh, like Jim Cornette. Yeah, he's a little racist, but listening to him talks real fun. But Dave Meltzer would name this match the worst worked match of 1991. Well, we can only I, go up. Yeah. <laughs> gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to agree already. Yeah. This is one of those ones where, like, if if I was in a place, like, maybe I was at a wrestling show and just, like, chatting it up with some other wrestling nerds or was in a place where that was going down and somebody made a reference to this, I would probably pop entirely too hard because, like, nobody needs to watch this. But, like, no. it's referenceable for sure because it's so bad. But just, like, I feel like that this is so much more memorable than, like, decent matches that I've watched. Because it is so Steve bad. Austin in a pay-per-view. Like, this His is, first pay-per-view, and it's this match. Yeah. PN News looks... Like, I don't want to be a dick, but I'm going to be one. PN News one-man gang look like vader i mean that's that probably wouldn't (laughs) i wouldn't be surprised if that's the look that they're kind of going for but no no like pn news makes one man gang look as athletic as vader because like pn news has like no athleticism at all he is just a fat man i mean whereas like akeem at least tries crawling over taylor yeah yeah akeem at least but like and like you can see that he has some athleticism, but PN News legitimately just looks like a fat man. Like he doesn't look like he doesn't look like he's exercised or anything. He's not scary. He's just a fat fan. Anyway, I think we've talked about this too much. <laughs> I was literally about to like how we talked about this match for this long. I know it's not a good match. It's so bad. I mean, sometimes that's what it takes. Jr. and Tony then welcome us to the show. And Tony has blonde hair now. Oh, it looks horrendous. Yeah, it looks so, so bad. <laughs> it's like his hair is brown, but he bleached it blonde, so it's kind of like a big flowy red mullet. JR lets us know that Ric Flair is no longer considered the DCW World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, and, uh. and that WCW had tried to reinstate Flair, but he had turned them down after being fired two weeks they, earlier yeah yeah they're they're trying to bury him they're like well he didn't come back but to be honest uh even if he came back later for less money he can only he could use that for you know to stoke the flames we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the show 
We then get Eric Bischoff with Paulie dangerously and Arn Anderson on the stage. He sucks. Paulie sucks. I mean, Paulie I don't think that. That's what I'm saying in the crowd. What about first appearance of Eric Bischoff? Yeah, I know. Me? That was, yeah, old, uh, you know, Ken, Kendall Eric Bischoff. Paulie then says, if there was anybody else with me, you'd shut me up for good. If there was anybody else with me, it'd be over for Paul E. Except one thing. Rick Steiner, you will never lay your hands on me in your life because my partner is the enforcer, double A, Arn Anderson. And Arn then says, which I'm going to preface this with, I know he didn't mean it in a sexual assault way. Yeah, yeah. That way. <laughs> We're going to do criminal things in that steel cage. And if Missy sticks her head in the ring, I'll make a real woman out of her. I hope that this Paulie Arn Anderson thing continues because, like, this is Arn Anderson promo we've seen. And it's not bad. It feels like he could have had a, like, maybe he's just really good at a couple sentences at a time as opposed to, like, doing a longer promo. But, like, he was good here. And yep. Paulie's good. Yeah, good, even when the microphone breaks. Then go back to JR and Tony, and they start talking the world title matchup that we'll see later on, uh, preview some of the other matches. Basically, they're just kind of wasting time so the ring crew can tear the scaffold down. But we don't have to wait as long due to the power of, you know, editing. Yeah. And we go straight to our second match, the Diamond Stud with Diamond Dallas Page versus the Z-Man. There's a little bit of a story behind this match. Mm-hmm. It was to determine who the biggest stud in WCW was. As Z was widely known as being the studliest until Diamond Stud took exception. Yeah, pretty understandable. It's kind of just, what are you into, man? Exactly. <laughs> DDP gets on the mic to announce every woman's dream pulls a girl out of the crowd and and she rips the stud's pants off. It's weird. It came off very strippery and yeah. uncomfortable. He had that line uh, about the diamond stud, uh, twisted steel and sex appeal, which I thought was nice. Z-Man then comes down to the ringside with a handful of attractive young ladies. Yeah, honeys. Z-Man and his, uh, his zets. His zets. <laughs> Zink then jumps over the ropes with double clothesline stud and DDP to start the match. Irish Whip, followed by a clothesline, starts running the ropes, but DDP pulls the ropes down to send Z-Man over and to the floor. Zink begins to stalk Page, but the stud comes around, hitting from behind. Irish Whip him into a guardrail, followed by a double axe handle from the apron, and again tossed into the guardrail. Both men are throwing hands until Zink's head is slammed into multiple turnbuckles, but on the third try, it's blocked and reversed for Stud to hit the turnbuckle. Zink's tossed to the ropes, ducks a clothesline, ducks a back elbow, and comes back with a crossbody. Stud with chops in the corner, shoulder blocks, locks on an ass stretch, using the ropes as leverage, but the ref finally catches him, and Z-Man with the the hip toss to escape goes for an elbow drop, but Stud has moved. 
Zinks toss to the ropes. Stud goes for a hip toss, but is blocked. Z-Man goes for a hip toss, but he gets blocked. And Stud hits a choke slam, which Tony calls a throat slam. Yeah, I mean, is this the first choke slam we've seen? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I when I, when it happened, I was like, oh yeah, choke slams. I used to remember remember uh, Kane doing that every single Monday for like yeah. years. <laughs> but I haven't seen a choke slam in a while. And to be honest, the Diamond Stud is a big enough man to do it. It's kind of like the bear hug. It's like oh, like Brian Pillman should not be choke slamming anybody. No, definitely not. But Diamond Stud can choke slam even Z- Tom Zink. Even yeah, even even Big Z. The diamond stud goes for a pin by posing with his knees on Zink's shoulders. So Z-Man reverses it by... So Z-Man reverses by pulling him over into a pin attempt. Clothesline by the stud, tosses Zink to the ropes, ducks his head, allowing Z-Man to go for a sunset. But stud stays up and punches down. Stud misses a clothesline and Z-Man hits a super kick to knock the diamond man to the floor. Rams his head on the guardrail... The apron, Irish whip into the guardrail, another head slam into the apron before rolling him back in. Zink goes to the top rope with a missile drop kick for the pin. DDP breaks it up by slapping Z-Man across the face. Zink then reaches out through the ropes to grab Paige, dragging him to the apron and pulling him into the ring by the hair. Gives him a super kick, but Stud has gotten up and hits a bridging back suplex. For the pin and the win. Uh, I knew what was going to happen. I knew Stud was going over. But, you know, Mike Z-Man, he's a company man. been here for a while. Always having good matches. Always working his hardest. If I told you that I think this might be my favorite match on the entire show, would you be surprised? Uh, I'm going to go with Yes. <laughs> but I don't know because I I might have to look at the surprise. Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, oh, no, there was some good stuff here, right? There is stuff here. There is stuff here. That's for sure. We've got stuff to talk about. But I'm just laying the I'm laying the baseline that this may be my favorite match on the show. Yeah. It's not my favorite, but it is in the top half. Yes, easily. I would say top three to four. Yeah. Yeah. Man, fuck. All right. I was not ready for you to say that. And I was like, wait, what what happens on this show? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, God. A lot happens on this show, but this show is not boring. But it's not good. As we head off. Yeah, it's very weird. So we head off for our third match of Oz with the Great Wizard versus Ron Sims. And we get the castle and Lazy Susan entrance again for Oz with Smoke and Pyro. This time we've got no no Wizard Judy. Of, no no Judy no, Garland, no, no Wizard uh, of Oz characters. Yeah. No Tin Man. It doesn't no take line. five minutes for this entrance like it did last time. No, no. It's but the, they still have the big castle thing, and it's. I would like to see that fully lit because I'm just curious of exactly what it is because it's not just a sheet. No, I think it's actually like a, like a full like 
set piece, like a stage play or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really fucking, really fucking weird. JR then talks Oklahoma football because, of course, he did. Yeah. Because Ron Simmons is here. Mm-hmm. The two men are back and forth early on with no one gaining an advantage. The two men get into a verbal war and then go off the ropes for shoulder blocks multiple times, but no one is budging. Oz catches Simmons with a big boot, several shoulder blocks, running the ropes, and Ron takes him down with a dropped hold. Punches, knees, forearms, Irish whip. Oz charges into a knee from Ron, allowing Simmons to hit multiple clotheslines to finally send Oz up and over the top rope. JR has this line after that big boot that really tickled my fancy because JR is typically not a very funny man. But he says about that big boot, uh, I'm not a shoe salesman. I'm not Al Bundy, but it looks like he wears about a 16 or 17 size shoe. And uh, that reference to married with children really was so timely and so good. And I appreciated the fact that JR was trying to talk about something that wasn't, you know, football. Then he made a pop culture reference. Once back in the ring, Oz asks for a test of strength, and Simmons gets taken down with multiple kicks. But Ron starts fighting back, hitting a backdrop, still in the knuckle lock. Simmons then tosses Oz to the ropes and goes for a drop kick, but Oz holds onto the ropes, followed by a clothesline. Oz is working over the back with double axe handles, knees, a backbreaker for a two count, and then throws Ron to the outside, where the great wizard joins in with a kick to the ribs. Simmons is up on the apron with a shoulder block and goes for a sunset flip, but Oz stays up and punches down. Oz picks up Ron in a bear hug, tossing him to the ropes, missing a clothesline, and Simmons turns to hit a drop kick, several football tackles, knocks the wizard off the apron, followed by a flying shoulder block for the pin and the win. There was that weird spot where Oz got knocked to the floor and uh, he knocked that guy's beer over. (laughs) And that guy was like visibly upset and he like kind of fake, fake, like he was like cocking back to hit him. It was pretty funny. After the match ends, JR says that Oz is headed back down the yellow brick road where he belongs. Uh huh. Why spend all that money on the castle is what my response to this was after Ron Simmons pinned him. Granted, I wanted Ron Sim- Sim- Simmons to pin him, but I assumed that wasn't going to be the case because they spent all this money on this fucking Oz character on the last show and they still had the castle thing here. So I just assumed like, hey, like you don't spend all that money and then like not try to make a star out of it. Obviously, they knew it wasn't working because it was getting booze. The first time it showed up, it was getting booze here because it was stupid. And Ron Simmons is like a legit badass. But so is Kevin Nash. Can't be a badass when he's doing something this fucking goofy. But yeah, so I was, I yeah, when this match was over, I was excited that Ron Simmons won. But I was like, why did they spend all that money? But you answered that question for me by telling me Ted Turner was just using it as an excuse to... Not an ex- he thought he was promoting the fact that he had the rights to Wizard of Oz. Which is weird. Know. You don't Such have to weird... promote that. I know. Wizard of Oz is on TV. Like, I kind of People miss the, the days of 
the days of cable where you just like change the channel and you get excited or find something weird and watch it. Wizard of Oz, like maybe when I was like seven or eight or whatever, I would probably skip right past it potentially. But if I had cable right now and like Wizard of Oz is on, it's going to be watched. I think cable is the only reason that everybody loves the Shawshank Redemption as much as they do. <laughs> and I don't think it's a bad movie, but I don't think movie. that I don't think that it would have the legs that it has without cable. JR and Tony then preview the next match before showing us this week's WCW top 10. And I wrote down the top five. Okay. Because it's in from five to one. I think number six Bobby is Eaton. going to be bad. Uh, six was Arn Anderson. Okay. Well, that's good. But number five was Bobby Eaton. Hell Steve yeah. Austin at four. Sting at three. Barry Windham at two. And Lex Luger. As the number one contender. Yes, because um, Ric Flair doesn't count because he's the champion, right? Well, it's a vacant <laughs> champion. <man. laughs> I know, I know. I was making a joke. So then we head off to our fourth match of Robert Gibson versus Richard Morton with Alexandria York. I'm such a dummy. I was like, who is Richard Morton? That's weird. <laughs> Richard Morton. And then like... He comes out, and it's. I was like, oh, yeah. Well, he came out with Miss York, so, you know, he's got to go by his full name. Uh, got to go by your proper name when you're in the Rick, York Foundation. I guess, like, Ricky, Rick is short for Richard, but that's weird. Like, Dick is also short for Richard. So, like, yeah, old Dickie I think, Morton. <laughs> I, think I, I think I would go by Ricky, too. Yeah, yeah. So the story behind this match was that Gibson had been out with an injury for over six months. And when he returned, he would find his partner accepting an offer to join the York Foundation. So Rob confronted Richard, but Morton would turn on his best friend a month prior at Clash of the Champions 15, which set up this match. Yeah, it's good. It's cool. It's like, oh, tag guys, uh, one's hurt, comes back. Like, solid, solid story. As far as it goes, he's like, no, fuck, fuck you. I'm doing my own thing now. The two start brawling on the rampway until a big punch by Gibson sends Morton stumbling into Robert attempts to continue the attack by tossing Richard to the ropes, but Morton slides under his legs and out to the floor to regroup. Gibson with the Irish whip. Again, Richard slides out of the ring, but only to the apron this time, allowing Robert to slingshot him back into the ring. Shit's already hot. Morton reverses an Irish whip, sending Gibson to the ropes, tries to hit a hip toss, but is blocked and reversed into a body slam by Robert. The two lock up, but no one gains an advantage for several minutes, so Morton goes back to the outside to regroup. Once back in, Richard, with an eye rake, pulls Robert into the turnbuckle face first and rolls to the outside, wrapping Gibson's leg around the ring post and slams it into the apron as well. And Robert is in lots of pain. Oh, yeah. He's got a, a knee brace on. Morton we'll... continues to work the leg with knee drops, ripping at his brace, goes for a spinning leg lock, but Gibson cradles Richard for a two count. Robert begins to fire back, going for a sunset flip, and Morton stays up and punches down several times. But Gibson is finally able to pull him over for a near fall. Richard locks on a figure four until Robert is able to roll it over to put the pressure on Morton, but Richard makes it to the ropes to break the hold. Morton goes right back to work on that knee, 
slamming it on the apron multiple times, continues to try and rip the brace off. More knee drops. When all of a sudden Gibson hits a desperation DDT out of nowhere. Yes. Hits a back body drop and tries for a drop kick. But Morton is able to move out of the way and Richard is right back to work on the leg. Inverted atomic drop, but Morton climbs to the top rope where Gibson is able to press slam him to the middle of the ring. Robert goes for a kick, which Richard catches, so Gibson follows with an insiguri. Morton crawls out to the rampway, which Robert follows out, and the two start brawling out there again until they both go for drop kicks. Miss York gets up on the apron, distracting the ref, allowing Richard to grab the computer and come off the top rope with it across the back of the head for the pin and, and the win. win. <laughs> Uh, it's, I think this was the first couple minutes of this match was really good. Yeah. I think that the rest of it is good too, but it's too early. Like to have that style of like, like that emotional beatdown, then you would have to had worked this program up bigger, like before doing it. And like, it's really weird that it just goes like the crowd, goes fucking dead and these guys are putting on something that i think could be great but it is something that you have to sell and they already have to care about these people in the first place i don't need to see i don't need to see morton and gibson do 10 minutes of legwork i am fine with it as long as it's sold to me over time as long as like it's hey did that legwork did that legwork play into the finish at all it didn't that's true it starts so hot and it gets to a spot where it's like you didn't earn this kind of match like with your setup. No. But that, I think that that kind my of biggest match issue with this match could have been great. Like I don't think this was bad, but I think that it was like, oh, this shouldn't even be happening right now. I'm they just should be go tagging back to my my tried and true reason for matches at WCW not being good. It's five minutes too long. Yeah, well, if, like, okay, let's say at this pay-per-view, they both are tagging with new tag partners against each other, and you're building towards, you know, the blow-off match where guys versus each other, and in that tag match, homeboy gets his knee fucked up, and they sell that over time, and then eventually they have the match against each other, but he's like, fuck it, I'm not going to pull out because I'm pissed. Because, you know, you fucked me up, we were friends, fucking that blah, blah, blah. And then you have this match, and he fucking does 10 minutes of leg work. Then, I'm all in. But, they didn't earn, they did, what they did was good. It just wasn't good for the situation. They needed to build to that, to the, that type of match. But it does start super hot. It starts really great. And then, yeah. I can see, like, I can see the disappointment in it, because it should have just been that. It should have been that for... Like six, eight minutes, to, six to eight minutes, and then with no knee work, and then the and then the and then the computer thing. He could yeah. even he could even hit him in the knee with the computer, and then <laughs> exactly. We then go to Eric Bischoff in the back with the Young Pistols and Dustin Rhodes, and Tracy says, "We got three thoroughbreds right here. We're not coming for a wrestling match. We're, We're coming, coming for, for a, a fight." fight. And then I felt Dustin tried to be his daddy a bit too much on his promo. 
It was rough. It was not good. And then we're headed off to our fifth match of the fabulous Freebirds of Michael P.S. Hayes, Jimmy Jam Garvin, and Bad Street with Big Daddy Dink versus the Young Pistols of Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers and the natural Dustin Rhodes in a six-man elimination tag match. And this is our... Well, it's a. I guess this is our first six-man match we've seen. No, we've seen some other six-man tags. Well, I mean, like uh, in, in WCW. Yeah, because we had the six-man uh, tag team championship with Junkyard Dog and more. Oh and shit! Yeah, I mean, that was, God, of course that was easy to forget. But oh yeah, uh, totally yeah. easy to forget. My God. So Bad Street is Fantasia. Bad Street is Fantasia, aka Brad Armstrong. We Basically, don't know that. they changed. We do know that. Well, I mean, we, we know that, but like the crowd doesn't know that. No, the crowd doesn't know who yeah. who this is. They probably do know that it's was Fantasia and is not Bastard. They basically changed the name so they wouldn't get sued by Disney. <laughs> That's a. I mean, I love Fantasia the movie. I had no strong feelings about Fantasia the wrestler, except for, you know. Quick high spot stuff. That was cool. But this Bad Street uniform is particularly bad. <laughs> and a dumb name. Speaking of it, it's basically a lucha a lucha bodysuit with hot pink and greens on a black bodysuit. I would say he that has like, the lucha mask. The body, it's not even yeah, it's like the lucha mask, but the bodysuit is like, you know, the green man suit. Except for it's black and they like spray painted it. Like it's not, it doesn't even look like wrestling gear. It almost just looks like really like, you know, footy, just looks like footy pajamas. So Hayes starts doing some strutting to get us going, but Dustin follows suit, mocking PS. Hayes has Fantasia still in his tights, so maybe they forgot to tell him about the lawsuit. <laughs> uh, money's tight. They spent it all on uh, the castle, on the, the castle of Oz. P.S. with an Irish whip goes for another that Rhodes reverses. Body slams both free birds. Elbows to the top of the head of all three to send them to the floor to regroup. Back in the ring, Dustin's running the ropes when Jimmy Jam gets a knee into the kidneys from the apron. Garvin then Irish whips Bad Street into the opposite corner to double clothesline the pistols to the floor while Hayes starts working on Dustin until him and Jimmy Jam go for a double back body drop, only for Rhodes to double faceplant them. Give elbows to the head of all three again, followed by stereo flying shoulder blocks from the top rope by the pistols to once again clear the ring. Bunch of hot shit real quick. I love uh, Dustin's, like, poor mocking of P.S. Yeah. Because, like, you know, P.S. is not the greatest greatest of moonwalkers, but Dustin, like, mocking him is... It's just like, you know, he's he's mocking him. He's just not doing it very well, and it's great. Garvin tags in and wants Smothers, so he comes in. But then the Freebirds do some posing to waste some time. Back body drop, drop kick by Tracy. Goes for another, but Jimmy Jam moves out of the way of the second. Smothers is tossed to the ropes, ducks a clothesline, and comes back with a flying back elbow. Tracy snapmares Hayes into the ring, press slams Bad Street off the top rope, and Steve comes off the top rope with a flying clothesline on Bad Street as well, which was a botch where Garvin should have been there. But he moved, and so Bad Street was like, 
oh yeah, someone's supposed to take that clothesline, so he got yeah. into a position to take it. I will say uh, that ba- Bad Street is the hero of this match. I'm just gonna tell you right now. Oh no, like like I said, Bad Street's own better at their gimmick, and like this is kind of even though they have that extra thing that's stupid, like Jimmy Garvin is coming out of his shell here. He's like talking to the camera and being an extra piece of shit. And I kind of fucking love it. I know, like, Garvin, it's like, oh, yeah, he's good. He's a good hand in the ring. But, like, here he's, like, starting to throw out some, like, strong personality. And it's pretty cool. We get a top rope axe handle by Smothers on the arm of PS, but is then tossed to the ropes, leapfrogs both from birds, and goes over to the floor when Bradstreet yanks down on the top. Bad Street Irish whips Tracy towards a clothesline from Big Daddy Dink. Body slams him on the floor before rolling him back in. Smothers his Irish whip to the corner where he leaps up and over the ropes to the apron. But Hayes follows in with a left jab to send him back to the floor. As Tracy gets back on the apron, Garvin comes in with a kick to send him crashing into the guardrail. But once Smothers is rolled back in, Jimmy Jam with a body slam, knee to the gut... Bad Street with a clothesline and P.S. with the sleeper. Tracy then fires up with elbows to the gut to escape, reverses an Irish whip, and goes up for mounted punches. And Hayes reverses into an inverted atomic drop attempt that is blocked. Smothers then comes off with a clothesline that misses, and P.S. hits the left jab once again. Garvin head slams Tracy into the turnbuckle, a snapmare, locks on the sleeper again, but Jimmy Jam lets it go to attack Rhodes and Armstrong, allowing his team the chance to a, for a double team, with Bad Street coming off the top rope with a sledgehammer to the head and a swinging neckbreaker for a two count. Bad Street attempts a back body drop, but Smothers floats over for a sunset flip for a near fall. Hayes with chops. Tracy fires back. P.S. with the left jab to knock him down and goes for the DDT, but his back body drop and Smothers makes it to the corner for the hot tag. <laughs> or, or what should have been. Yeah. All of their energy, all of these great matches we've seen so far, right? That, that's why they're not, they're not hot. Mm. That was the problem. Mm. Are you digging at me? Armstrong in with the back body drop of PS. Drop kicks to Jimmy Jam and Bad Street. A double noggin knocker to Garvin and Hayes. Everybody in the ring to brawl. Pistols with a double back elbow. A double axe handle to PS. A double flying shoulder block to Bad Street. While Dustin and Jimmy Jam are brawling on the floor. Hayes pulls Smothers through the ropes to the rampway. While Bad Street's mask is trying to be ripped off by Steve. PS hits a clothesline on Armstrong. Hayes and Bad Street hit a double DDT for the for pin. The pin. Steve Armstrong is eliminated. That high spot, like everything that just happened, was a pleasure to look at. The last like five minutes of this match is super fun. <laughs> Unfortunately, this match went 17 minutes. So mm, yeah, no first like. Well, this isn't the first match, but this could have been a great first match if it was 10 minutes long. Yeah, because with three guys, like you know, it's like if it's gonna be. T- six minutes it's gonna be if it's gonna be like even like a straight tag you can get away with 10 if they're really great 
but like three with all the schmas, I'm giving you like 11, <laughs> 11 30 max. As the announcement is being made, Smothers charges in at PS, and Hayes back body drops him over the top rope, and the ref disqualifies him. So Michael P.S. Hayes. What was that about, though? I didn't get it. You can't go over the top rope. No, that's not true. I have in notes from the last show where people went over top rope and I didn't bring it up because I felt like they got over it. But here, I was like, oh, well, that's not a thing. And I was like, well, I guess that's what they did. You can't fuck with me like that. I'm so over that shit. (laughs) Rules. I need my rules to be... I get it in tag matches because there's four people and there's one ref and like that's kind of the nature of the tag match and it makes sense but over the rope fucking if it's not a royal rumble then it doesn't matter jesus fuck <laughs> um, so like i've and also why would you want to toss ps out at this point the ps is the one that back body drops tracy over the ropes so oh, ps is eliminated it's... yeah but it's a quick way to get rid of someone in yeah, this 17 minute match. You can't put somebody over the top, so it makes no fucking sense, and I hate it. There's no, there's no real logic there. Anyway, it's a let's rule. Get to this last you can't, you can't put someone over the top rope. What happens? You're disqualified. But what happens when Flair flips into the corner into the apron? Does that not count? They don't want that to be the finish, so they don't care. They <laughs> that's my problem. Finish. That's my problem. And it's like, oh, P.S. put him over the ropes, so he's out. <sighs> Yeesh. Garvin head slams Smothers into the turnbuckle. Body slammed by Bad Street. Goes up to the top for a double axe handle. Tracy's trying to fight his way out of the corner and ducks Jimmy Jam and Bad Street to make a tag. But the ref was distracted by Dink on the apron. So he doesn't allow it. Garvin and Badstreet then hit the double DDT on Smothers for the pin. And Tracy Smothers is eliminated. But I mean, hey, this is a good way to get Dustin over, right? Exactly. (laughs) Rhodes is in immediately with a flying clothesline on Jimmy Jam for the pin. And Jimmy Jam Garvin is eliminated. Bad Street with a kick to the head of Dustin. Comes off the top rope with a double accent. Head slammed into a turnbuckle. Snapmare. Elbow drop. All for a two count. Rhodes tries to get some offense into no avail as Bad Street with a body slam. Goes for another top rope double axe handle. But Dustin catches him on the way down with a shot to the gut. A clothesline. Goes for the pin. But Dink is distracting the ref again. Bad Street uh, reverses an Irish whip. But Rhodes charges out to hit a combo bulldog drop kick to Bad Street and Dink, who had climbed into the ring to make the cover for the pin and the win. Is that bulldog bulldog drop kick the greatest fucking move of 1991? It's up there. <laughs> it's fucking incredible. I was just like, okay, cool, bulldog, and then like Dink all of a sudden's there, so he like drop kicks him as well and i was just like yeah that was yes like we watch wrestling and we're like oh yeah we like action movies and big long fight scenes but those are like cinematic and you can have takes and blah 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 but that was like the most badass like chuck norris bruce lee shit 
It looks fucking great, and it was completely nailed. It does it's not botched at all. It's like about as no. fucking perfect as it could be. It was incredible, and like it's so crazy that Dustin. Also, at the beginning of this match, when Dustin makes fun of PS, you can kind of see a little bit of that gold dust coming out, where he can really fucking turn it on and be weird. Yep. And like, we also saw him impersonate his father which was really cringy but i guess that's just because you know nepotism and you're impersonating somebody and not doing it and it wasn't impersonating them as a joke it's different if you're you know if you're mocking somebody he literally thought that was the way he should do promos yeah but they're pushing him to the moon he looks great in all of his matches like everything's so crispy and he's so athletic and he's also gigantic but he's not cut which is weird but i mean granted he's dusty's son so like he probably has to work really hard for that body that he has (laughs) you know what i mean it's like some people not everybody can just eat like you know chicken and broccoli and work out and end up looking like brian pillman or z-man As much as I love broccoli and chicken. <laughs> and chicken, like, yeah. I, I also like bread, <laughs> yeah. cheese. Right. So we're off to our sixth match. The Yellow Dog with a Golden Retriever versus Johnny B. Bad with Teddy Long in a bounty match. So JR uh, tells us... You mean the Yellow Dog with the Yellow Dog? I do mean the Yellow <laughs> Dog with the Yellow Dog. <laughs> From the Kennel Club? So JR tells us that there are suspicions that Yellow Dog is flying Brian Pillman. What do and you I will suspicions? Com- he, he has suspicions. You're saying that, that he, he kind of looks like he might not be Brian Pillman? Because <laughs> as far as I can tell, it's definitely Brian Pillman. <laughs> I will confirm those suspicions that it is that JR is correct. So Pillman had lost a Loser Leaves Town match versus Arn Anderson and Barry Windham at Clash of the Champions 15. I want to see that. You can go back and watch it. He was in return wearing this mask, but a $10,000 bounty was placed on his head. If anyone could remove the mask to prove it was Flying Brian, the money was theirs. It's an old old school Dusty Rhodes... This is uh this is uh like Starcade eighty four right here. Exactly. <laughs> Every match of the Starcade eighty four. It's about some money. It's so, so it's so funny how like some things work so well all the time and some things only work in a time period. Mm-hmm. But this and, works <laughs> this is all this the is time. <laughs> yeah. This uh ages like Fine dog piss. <laughs> <laughs> so Johnny B. Bad's announced and the wrong theme music plays as he's, at first, at least. But yeah. then he starts walking down. It, that's why it takes so long for him to come down the ring because he's like sitting there like waiting for his music to play. This stage is really we big see- and weird and people like walk out and just wait for their music standing on like that Lazy Susan thing. Yeah. It's a very bizarre looking like stage setup there's a gentleman in the in the crowd with a sign that says i love johnny b bad i'm so glad you got this and jr says let's hope your mom and dad don't see that yes i have that note as well and i was like damn jr fucking rough dude i like i love johnny b bad too 
JR then lets us know that Bad was a five-time New York State boxing champion before turning to the world of wrestling. Yeah, he mentions that he has a win over some guy that Tyson Had, also beat. And I'm like, well, he, you guys both beat him, so like, how good is he? Yeah, like it, it was literally the guy Tyson had just beat. Oh, uh, okay. That makes more sense then. If it's just some guy that Mike Tyson beat, and it's like, yeah, he beat a lot of guys. So we then have some technical difficulties as this match gets started. And everywhere that I've like seen like reviews of the show, there is a point where when Yellow Dog looks straight into the camera. Oh yeah. And says Johnny no be bad, Johnny be gay. Oh my god. So I'm wondering if it was actually technical difficulties. (laughs) Yeah. Or if WWF finally was just like, yeah, we should probably uh, edit that out. They didn't. I mean, it's hard to cut out crowd noise, but they didn't cut out the uh, F word chance. No, they did from those uh, other ones. But yeah, I love the Johnny B. Bad character already. He's he's like gay Rick Rude. (laughs) It fucking rules. And his, like, big purple cape that he comes out in. And, like, Teddy, like, taking the time to hug him. And they're, like, really putting over the homophobia thing. It's like, this is what wrestling is. It is trash. Trash opera. Give me my trash opera. God damn it. Dog slaps bad to get us started. But is tossed to the ropes for a hip toss and a body slam by Johnny. Tony then lets us know that Yellow Dog is the number one Brian Pillman fan in the world. (laughs) The fact that they don't even try to hide this is very funny. But, I mean, I guess everybody already knew. And they just needed proof. And that's kind of what this match is about. Why not Red Kangaroo? (laughs) (laughs) Yellow Dog is actually an old gimmick that Flair and Barry Windham did back in, like, the Florida days. Oh, well, I take back what I said. That's genius, but what they don't account for is the fact that the crowd is, like, children, and they, they weren't alive the, when they don't know who the fuck Yellow Dog is, yeah. They're not, yeah, even Brian, even Meltzer's probably too young to fucking know Yellow Dog <laughs> <laughs> at this point, and he's probably down there fucking taking photos or notes. Dog with the hip toss, drop kick, and a massive chop to send Bad out to the floor. Yellow Dog's running the ropes, comes back with a crucifix, but turns it into a sunset flip for a two-count. That's a nice little spot. Bad tosses Dog to the ropes, goes for a body slam, and Yellow Dog floats over. Goes for an Okada roll, and Johnny holds onto the ropes, so Dog comes back with a clothesline that Bad ducks, sending Yellow Dog to the rampway for a second. But he comes right back in with a drop kick to the back of Johnny, who's knocked into Teddy Long who was on the apron. Peanut head. I just want to point out that Bad basically body drops dog over the top rope and doesn't get up and get disqualified. Don't get me started. <laughs> please. Please. I think about it off and on so often in WCW shows where it's like, oh, yeah, that. Because anytime they bring it up, it's like if they just never brought it up again or use the rule again, it'd be fine. Man. We still got a few more years of this rule. Fuck, are you serious? I'm serious. Fuck off. Yellow dog stalks long around ringside, but Bag comes from behind the corner to hit a lariat to knock the dog down. 
John continues the attack, tossing Yellow Dog into the guardrail before they roll back into the ring. Irish whip to the corner, but the dog leaps to the middle rope, coming off with a crossbody that bad ducks. Johnny then makes his way to the top rope for a sunset flip for a two count. Arm dragged by Yellow Dog, Bag grabs at the mask to take him over and starts to rip at the mask, but Dog hits a jawbreaker to knock him off. Yellow Dog is taken down by a high knee. Bag goes for the tutti fruity left hand, but Dog ducks lands a German suplex. Yellow Dog's tossed to the ropes, ducks a clothesline, comes back with a spinning heel kick, followed by a backdrop, goes to the top rope for a crossbody for the pin, and no! no! runs in and starts ripping at the mask. Oh, Teddy Long wants that cash. So the ref calls for the bell and the DQ. Yeah. But post-match, the dog with a flying clothesline on Teddy, but Bat is up to hit the Tutti Frutti to knock Yellow Dog out of the ring. I will say, the one of the greatest spots I've ever seen. I mean, well, it's kind of crazy that they're on the same show, but like that drop kick bulldog, cinematic, gorgeous, Great perfect. Spot. Johnny B. Might get a Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. Johnny B. Bad's sunset flip off the top rope is yeah. fucking incredible. It was pretty. It was as pretty as he is, baby. It was so crispy and so good. And I was like, I thought it was going to be the finish. I think that it should have been the finish. But I get the whole like gimmick or whatever. Also, you don't want to pin Pillman, but like... Johnny Bad so goddamn big that like whatever he shouldn't be doing that. That was like like Snooka 2.0. It's like oh yeah, like he jumped off the top and it looked really cool, but no, he jumped off the top and did like a perfect sunset flip. So I just needed to put that thought over because it meant a lot to me. I really enjoyed it. We didn't go to the back. Eric Bischoff is outside the women's locker room. He's gonna be the first guy ever in a women's locker room and i was like it's because there's not usually a woman's locker room (laughs) yeah we don't we don't do this very often but when we do we make sure it's a missy hyatt joke (laughs) i guess missy's assistant yeah reads an admirer's card to her you know who it's from though who's it from jason hervey oh that's right they were Uh, going out this time weren't they and that's pretty crazy because uh jason hervey you know, he's just so, so shrimpy. Yeah. What's the deal with the Herve? Like, come on, Missy. Like, you got Eric Bischoff over here. He looks much better than the Herve. I'm sure Eric had a turn. Oh, come on. Eric makes his way into the room because he loves his job and makes his way into the shower room. And mm-hmm. she starts screaming and throwing things at him. Soap, shampoo. As Eric runs off. We go back out to JR and Tony, and Tony says that he volunteered to do that interview, but Eric got the gig. Yeah, yeah, because, it's, you know, Dusty's not on the mic anymore, so we gotta, we gotta switch it up. Everyone volunteers to go to the the shower where Missy is, right? Yeah, I mean, um, that's how you get a girlfriend, is you walk in on them while they're showering. <laughs> I think that's oh, more like how you get a That's a how you do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. According to uh, professional wrestling, yeah. I'll have to remember that that next time. Mm -hmm. So then we're off to our seventh match of Big Josh versus Black Blood in a Lumberjack match. Now, Josh doesn't have his bears anymore, 
but he does have some lovely ladies. Oh, yeah. Uh, Big Josh traded out. Uh, well, let's say that his bears found him some honey. <laughs> there may be a rim shot sound effect <laughs> right there <laughs> because it deserves it. Yeah. They didn't have bear money, but they had honey money. So Blood comes out dressed as like an executioner. And yeah, he looks like the cover of like a really good thrash metal record. And by Blood, we've seen him before as Billy Jack Haynes. Oh, yeah. And we haven't seen him since WrestleMania 3, which Man, was episode 11. I mean, I knew Brian, I knew Yellow Dog was Brian Pillman, but. I also know Brian Pillman because he's great. Billy Jack Haynes, I'd be like, oh, yeah, he's a big guy. I don't remember what he looks like. So he doesn't have the memorable face when it's, you know, shrouded in, shrouded in uh, black cloth and mystery. So lumberjacks come out and surround the ring. They're never announced, but, but I do see Dustin Rhodes, Dick Murdoch, Junkyard Dog, Dick Slater, Richard Morton, Bobby Eaton, PN News... And Black Bart. Yeah, it's kind of funny. So they got all the headliners of the show, right? Yeah, you think PN News only got a match on the last pay-per-view because he was willing to do it, and everyone was like, we're not going to the fucking scaffold. We're not doing that. And it's like, oh, Bobby Eaton, and like, he's like, oh, well, I'm not tagging anymore, so like, my tag partner totally would have done it, but who we're going to put with him and you have your uh, big Josh is like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> and obviously black blood's not going to work. Cause he's uh, a heel. I just thought it was kind of funny that he's like just a lumberjack here. So blood attacks as the bell rings, tossing him out to the heel side of the ring where they get some shots in before rolling him back into the ring. Black blood comes out with a motherfucking like, you know, big Josh comes out with his ax handle. We've seen yeah. that before. Black Blood comes out with a legitimate fucking, like, fantasy axe. Executioner axe. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, and he comes out with an, exe- yeah, the, an executioner's axe, which is a really great song by a Texas band called Power Trip. Everybody listen to Power Trip. The swing of the axe. Josh is then tossed to the face side of the ring. They pick him up, dust him off, and roll him back in. Chop fest from the two men. Hip toss, drop kick, double throat chop to send blood to the outside on the heel side. Where they double take throat chop, time. where he does the X hand thing. Yeah, that was very funny. Yeah, it was super silly. What did what did J what did Jr. call it? An axe thrust or something like that? I think so, something yeah. like that. It's but it the, looks like it looks like like a kindergartner like pretending to fight. It's a very funny move. Big the heels end up man. taking their time to dust blood up and off and get him back into the ring snapmare by josh more chops from both blood is irish whipped but he charges out only to be taken to the mat where josh does the log roll followed by a knee and a clothesline descending to the outside they're trying to get this log roll over man dude the log roll is kind of big josh is like a mix between he's like a more serious hacksaw with a little bit of earthquake, right? I'd rather watch both Duggan and Earthquake many times over. 
Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, Josh we put Earthquake over pretty heavily recently because we like Earthquake. You know that my hate of, like, my, my Duggan dislike... Duggan has some personality. He does. No, Big he's Josh good at doing that. no personality. No, but I think the log roll is kind of funny. I'm not going to put it over, but it's a fun spot because no one else does it. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's not a bad idea. It just needs to be given to somebody that, like, can put it over, can put the log roll over. The lumberjacks then get blood rolled back in for Josh to continue the attack with mounted punches until blood retaliates with a flapjack into the turnbuckle, a rubber band slammed by blood, knee lift, double throat thrust descending to the face side of the outside. All the lumberjacks are about to start brawling as blood hits Josh as he gets up to the apron. Blood with a vertical suplex to bring Josh back into the ring, and the brawl is going down on the outside. Blood hits multiple face plants on the inside. Leg drop, goes for a knee drop, but Josh gets a boot up just in time. Damn. Josh with a back elbow, Irish whip to the corner, charges into a big boot by Blood, who follows with a German suplex as the brawl starts up once again on the outside. The Blood crowd is thing- super hot for that brawl on the outside. Like it they might be the thing that they it. pop for the most, which is weird show. because like it's just kind of fine, but maybe it's just not a thing that happened a lot of the time, where you had that many guys out there that were faces and heels. Like so, it just kind of weirded me out that like oh, this is what does it for you. Blood then grabs his executioner axe while Rhodes while. Dustin Rhodes Dustin grabs Rhodes, yeah. Josh's axe handle and hits blood across the knee with it, allowing Josh to cradle blood for the pin and the and win. This show was made to put over Dustin Rhodes. I agree completely. Uh, it does a pretty good job of it. But my main thing, my main question here is, so Black Blood was going to murder Big Josh? because like he seriously had that giant executioner's axe and like above his head and dustin hits him and he drops it and i was so terrified when he just dropped it because like it didn't look like a gimmick and it probably was gimmicked but it looked like a big stupid axe if he dropped it and it hit the guy even a little bit like that's really violent and that's not what i want but yeah like they legitimately it was really funny that in all of this, you know, whatever match, it was ending with him legitimately going to murder this man. <laughs> Even if that, like, had no sharp edge and it was a blunt edge, it was big and heavy enough that, like, he could have killed the man with it. He could have chopped his head at least, uh, you know, halfway through, which, you know, you don't you don't come back from somebody cutting your head half off. Definitely didn't come <laughs> back from that. So I thought that was fucking crazy. I thought it was crazy when he actually came out with it in general. So we're headed off to our eighth match. One man gang with Kevin Sullivan versus El Gigante. And the story behind this match was... LPs. Little people. Midgets. Is it cool if I say midget? He did have four midgets. Yeah, they have like uh, eye makeup on. So they're kind of dressed up like evil Kevin Sullivan people. So the story behind this match was who was the true giant of WCW? Sullivan and 
one man gang had also cut the hair of Gigante, and the giant was looking for revenge. He yeah, had his hair cut at the last pay-per-views, right? I think he had a little bit longer hair. Yeah. And now it's and now it's shaved here. So You know what would be really Sullivan. intelligent is if they had the package of him getting his hair cut. You know that would make sense. I think so. I mean we might get there at some point. <laughs> I mean they're getting better. But I mean we're also, you know, technology is not as convenient as it is now, so it's hard. And also they don't have WWF money, and even they just finally started to get better at it. So Solomon leads one man gang to the ring on a chain where Bischoff stops to ask them what they are trying to prove. Mm. And Sullivan answers, you will ask me anything. I'll tell you everything you need to know. You see the giant is ready to go down because the gang and myself climbed the plateau of fear, swim through the river of the dead, went to the temple of Abu Dain himself. <laughs> and met with the lady of the third, the eye. third eye. And as the gang and the lady of the third eye feasted and rejoiced, she was outside with the banshees, and they were building their death, their death wagon. wagon. <laughs> we have taken the death wagon all the way through the river of fear, down the plateau, the <laughs> and it's outside waiting. Tonight. Tonight, giant. Your heart and soul and head belongs to the one man gang. Is that up there with a warrior, weirder yeah. than a warrior? It's war. It's warrior. Warrior level. Not as much en- enthusiasm as warrior, but like he's still trying to do it his best. But the thing about Kevin Sullivan is like, yeah, he's doing this like Satan demonic thing, but you don't believe it because he just looks like a guy that will change your oil. Plus, he has one main gang who just looks like a Detroit gangster, or Dude, uh, not a gangster. Well, I mean, one man uh, gang's like he's got him, but he's got one man gang like on a chain, like fucking like Pulp Fiction gimp style. But it's just like this big guy. He still has like the big skull on his shoulders, like his WWF like early one man gang gear, except for he's got like chains on. He's definitely lost some weight. I feel like, but but it just it, it didn't feel like it fit this like satanic no thing that sullivan's doing like no kevin sullivan's satanic thing is like oh he has it's just a gimmick he has no idea what the fuck satan is or any of this crap like he's not into it it was just a thing he was trying to get over it's kind of you know well i mean this is a small a reference that's gonna fall on nobody's ears but like the band venom wrote all these songs about satan it's eddie brock the lead singer no, 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 it's not Eddie Brock. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Spider-Man. But uh, no, Venom was like a early metal band and their songs were about, you know, being like evil in league with Satan and stuff like that. And they wore, you know, had pentagrams for a logo and stuff, but it was all a gimmick. They didn't believe in any of the shit. But the songs were basically like really crappy versions of ACDC songs while they yelled about Satan so they could make money, but they also ended up being a big influence on people that actually ended up writing songs about Satan, <laughs> which is kind of funny. It's kind of like Kiss, where it's like, oh, yeah, they look really evil, but all their songs are just about having sex with teenagers, which is probably more evil than actually worshiping Satan. <laughs> <laughs> so, but 
Kevin Sullivan comes off. He just he's like he looks like a Don Morocco or uh, who who is it really? Who's who's my world's strongest? Dino Bravo. Yeah, he looks like he looks like fucking Dino Bravo, or like or like Valentine. Yeah. Like he's short. He's stacked. He probably can wrestle, but in painting his face and make crap he doesn't care about. It's like you can tell that he's not into this like Satan gimmick. Whereas like Undertaker, Kane, Mankind all do that very well. They sell it. Yeah. And like Kevin Sullivan's trying to do something weird, but it's just like comes off bizarre. Anyway, incredible promo. So you mentioned the four little people that came out to the ring with El Gigante. One of them would go on to be Dink the Clown, Doink's little person friend. Yeah, Dink, Dink's Mini. I think they called them Minis back in the day. For yeah. If it was like a imitation of a popular wrestler. And another one uh, actually came out whenever Jerry Lawler and Doink the Clown were feuding and became Jerry Lawler's Sleazy. Nice. I I'm sure we'll really get to it at much, some point. I've never really seen any Jerry Lawler uh, wrestling matches when he's like in his prime, and I think that I would quite enjoy it. Uh, we saw the one that AWA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more, but like he's famous, but not really famous for wrestling on like the grander scale of television. He's a Memphis legend. Yeah. I have, I got that rascal. I bought that like his first day of quarantine and i watched like the first half of the first disc and it's pretty great because it's weird it's melter and uh and cornet like doing commentary over like old matches that are inside of like studios Mm -hmm. it's cool fucking cool anyway that's fun so one man gang goes to attack the little people but one of them gets thrown by Sullivan until they escape to the outside Sullivan throws the shit out of that kid. Yeah, he does. Brett's <laughs> really upset looking. Gang leaves the ring, but Gigante grabs him, throwing him back into the ring, hitting clubbing forearms. El Gigante then no-sells some shoulder blocks from one-man gang, causing him to roll out to regroup. But the giant follows out and begins to stalk him around the ringside. As they get into the ring, Gang starts running the ropes, ducking a clothesline, but Gigante delivers. A hit toss. On his way back, more clubbing forearm, shoulder blocks in the corner, Irish whip. The giant charges in, but one man gang moves out of the way and goes to the second turnbuckle to hit a flying clothesline to take Gigante down. Sullivan hands gang a wrench to hit the giant over the back with, choking him, and then hands the wrench back to Sullivan. After more one man gang attacks, Kevin hands the wrench back to him distracting the ref, allowing Gang to hit Gigante in the leg. Back to the leg, Sullivan joins in, jabbing the wrench into the giant's stomach. One-man Gang starts working the back as well with elbows. A 747 splash goes for the cover, but Gigante powers Gang off and through the ropes to the floor. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of cool that he does the 747, which should be the finish, and is also a finish into a pin, and he just, like, pushes him off. Doesn't look great, but it's still a cool look. Like, they're trying to build L. One-man gang guillotines the giant on the top rope from the floor, goes up to the top rope where Gigante press slams him off, 
hits a back elbow, clubbing forearms, and a vertical suplex. Sullivan then climbs to the top rope, but the giant is there with a clubbing forearm to knock him down. Double noggin knocker to Gang and Kevin. Claw on Sullivan, but one man Gang hits him from behind to break the hold. Kevin then hands a package of powder to Gang, <laughs> who turns to throw it, but Gigante with a kick to knock the powder right back into one man Gang's eyes, delivers a clothesline to make the cover for the pin. And, the, and win. the win. At least he got his powder revenge. <laughs> exactly. At least there was a little bit of continuity on the finish of this match. Yeah, I, yeah. There, there is. Um, I'll say I like that. Though I like that the wrench thing where they're like, well, Kevin Sullivan didn't have it in his pants. We would have been able to see it. He's just wearing like, you know, red trunks. But uh, they're like, oh, no, that's what they used to build the ring with or whatever. He pulled it out from under the ring. But, you know, they're still trying to put over Elegante. And it's kind of crazy how much time they've spent. Because, like, he showed up, was obviously not believable at all in the ring, took time to train him, brought him back, and he looks a little bit better. They're also putting him in the ring with people that are not great anyway. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, so who's leading this match? I mean, I hope one man Kevin Sullivan on the outside, just like whispering loudly. (laughs) JR and Tony then preview the next match. Send us to a video package where we see Olaf try to hit Luger, but Sting tosses him out of the way in a match with the Steiners at Super Brawl. Nikita and Sting brawling in the back when Tony stops Koloff for an interview. We see a house show where it looks like Sting's headed out for a match, but Nikita's there to again hit a chain-aided sickle and beats him down. Clash of the Champions 15, Sting's being interviewed. He has a kid from the crowd in his arms, and then we see Koloff sneak up from behind, and right as the Stinger puts the kid down, Nikita strikes again. Koloff looks like he's going to go after the kid, but the mom jumps over the railing to get uh, between them. Yeah, it's good. It's like, oh, obviously it's a plant, but pretty good. The mom, still like, kid. still a yeah, kid, though. Still a kid, yeah, but the mom, like, you know, jumping over the thing and like saving the kid, like, it's cool. It's it's pretty well done. So we're off to our ninth match: Nikita Koloff versus Sting in a Russian chain match. Yeah, and like, it's weird kind of match. It kind of is my favorite kind of match. You're right, Matt. I just love it when two men are tied together and the way they need to win the contest is to touch all of the corners of the square in which the contest is supposed to take place. I think that that is potentially the most compelling way that two men can fight each other. (laughs) I'm a big fan. I know how much you are. My big hope is that Koloff and Sting can eventually have like a cage match. And also, didn't Koloff show up trying to just be the U.S. champion? Yeah. And like, he... So he started a feud with Luger... And now he's in a feud with Sting it without kind of, ever having a match with Luger. 
It were yeah, that's the thing that I miss is the Luger thing, but it makes sense because of the run-in where he went to go hit Luger, which is kind of one of the reasons that that works and that this also does work. It works like wrestling logically. Like wrestling logic, this works in wrestling logic for sure. <laughs> but I just wanted to bring up that like he came back wanting to be be like, "Oh, none of these guys are good enough." Uh, U.S. champions. I'm the best U.S. champion. So he starts like terrorizing them, but then ends up in a battle with Sting. Yeah. So the ref gets them attached. The two start jawing at each other. Sting tosses Nikita to the outside, where Kulov is rubber band slammed across the guardrail multiple times. Head right. slams against the guardrail before rolling him back in. Multiple head slams against the turnbuckle, and Nikita rolls out to the outside, where Sting uses the chain to choke him. But again, being tossed back in, Sting slaps one turnbuckle, two turnbuckles. But Koloff holds onto the ropes and kicks the Stinger to break the momentum. Nikita then hits a chain line to send Sting to the outside, where Koloff continues the attack with a head slam into a guardrail and another chain line. Wraps the chain around his fist and works over the Stinger some more. Nikita goes for another head slam into the guardrail, but Sting blocks and reverses. Koloff rolls back into the ring, but then rolls back out to the floor on the other side of the post, so the Stinger yanks on the chain to pull Nikita into the ring. Hell yes. Once back in the ring, Koloff uses the chain across the back of Sting, dropping multiple chain-aided elbows, starts choking the Stinger with the chain. JR and Tony talk about how there are no rules, so there's nothing the ref can do about chokeholds. As Randy Anderson is counted to five, and Kita releases the chokehold. It's like, yeah, how are you going to... They're, they're chained to each other. How are you, you going to be like, oh, well, you can't choke them. But you can hit him with a chain, drag him around. But I'm cool. pretty sure that if either of them went over the top rope, it'd probably go to DQ, right? It totally would. <laughs> Fuck. Koloff goes for another chain-aided elbow drop, but Sting moves. And after some punches, the chain is between Nikita's legs. <gasps> so the Stinger yanks on it to hit the Russian jewels. Ooh. Probably what got the biggest pop of the entire mm. night. What jewels sell well in Russia? I assume that they're red. Rubles. 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 Isn't that the name of like, currency? I don't know. Koloff rakes the eyes, hits a snapmare, starts making his way to turnbuckles for one, two, three. But Sting fights back with a kick to break the count. He and Sting are locked in a bear hug where they both touch a turnbuckle. They make oh. their way to a second turnbuckle, still locked in the bear hug. So they're like with the... together. So like the fact that they're holding each other and they hit the corner is why it's a two. Why they each get the count? Yeah, because neither one's broken the momentum. So yeah, they but each... they're also it's like well, you're not dragging them from the chain. You're touching each other, so you both get the pass, right? Yes. Well, I mean, I guess he also dragged him by the wrist. Sting with a kick, then a low blow by Koloff, but Sting returns the low blow favor. The ref doesn't stop the count as he makes a judgment call that neither's momentum was broken. Both men get up at the same time and rush to hit the third turnbuckle at the same time. 
Sting with a knee goes for a slam, but Nikita holds onto the ropes to block. Stinger's punching away, trying to drag Cole off, who's holding onto the ropes for dear life. Nikita with a rake of the eyes and a Russian sickle, and he goes for the fourth turnbuckle, but the ref stops him for a second, allowing Sting to hit a Stinger splash that knocks both men into the last turnbuckle. Oh my god. hit first. So he is the winner. Interesting way to finish the match. It was a great way to finish the match. You know I hate these kinds of matches. You know that I love Sting, and I'm pretty pumped on the co-op return, and he is delivered. But minus the fact that this is stupid, it's really good in being stupid. Yeah. Like, I think that finish is great. Like, Sting doing, like, the big splash it looks like he's just reaching for the turnbuckle more than a splash but like you know obviously the other guy's in front of him and he's like making his last ditch effort it's like oh stealing it's like that feels like somebody stealing a base it's like ugh, that was gamble and of course it puts nikita over but doesn't make sting look like a geek i think that this was about as good as it could have been Smash the two men continue to brawl until Sting hits an atomic drop that makes the chain be between the legs of Nikita again. So the steer gangs on it once again to leaving uh, leg. Man, that second rack spot where he goes out and under. Yeah. It's so good. It just it's visually very, very good. So JR and Tony preview the next match and send us to a video package. When it's basically just an ad for Great American Bash. Shows Luger winning matches with the torture rack. Wyndham with the superplex all against jobbers. Yeah. Back from the video. They're just trying to do anything to, like, put this match over because everyone expects Ric Flair. Yeah. Back from the video, we've seen the cage being lowered with Pyro at the top of the cage. More JR and Tony previewing, basically just to waste some time as they're setting the cage up. We get loud... We want flair. Oh, we want flair. These chants are pretty brutal. I mean, they were happening throughout the entire show. Yes. But I mean, yeah, but this match is like, yo, this is the title match. This is a flair match. He didn't lose the title. Yeah, exactly. JR and Tony tells us that it's been four years since Wyndham has had a world title shot. And they bring up how Luger and Wyndham were once tag team champions until Wyndham turned on Luger to join the Horsemen. So I thought it was cool that they kind of brought up a little bit of the history. No, like, I honestly think that this is kind of the best match they could have had in this situation. And they do a really good job of putting it over. It's just that, like, nobody's trying to hear this shit. Our 10th match is Barry Windham versus the total package Lex Luger in a steel cage match for the vacant WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And the story behind this match is one of backstage politics. Yes. This match was originally supposed to be Ric Flair versus Luger, but the Nature Boy had been at odds with WCW president Jim Hurd for quite some time over creative and contracts. Money, so Heard baby. Heard would fire Flair and strip him of only problem with that 
is that Hurd wouldn't give Flair his $25,000 deposit back for the belt, which a champion has to put up. So Nash took it with him, leaving WCW without a championship belt. Dusty Rhodes went and dusted off the old Western Heritage belt, which was last seen at Bunkhouse Stampede, episode 15. Threw a metal plate on it to disguise Wyndham was then chosen as a challenger because everybody else in the top five was either a face, a champion already, or Arn Anderson, who wouldn't take the place of his best friend after that friend had literally just been screwed over. Yeah, plus, I mean, Barry Wyndham is great and was great, but he's never, like, he's kind of a champion of previous time. I mean, he's never world champion. He had challenged for the title quite a bit back in the mid-80s. Yeah. Until until he joined the Horsemen. But like I was saying earlier, he's kind of... Kind of like how, like, Snuka was huge in the, like, 80s like late seventies and early eighties, but like never was a champion, but he was a big draw. Barry Wyndham, I mean, obviously wasn't as big as that, but like he was, he was a staple at some point. He was the name at some point. I mean, I do think Arn Anderson probably would have been the better choice. Like I said, Arn was never going to get into this, get into this ring as this person at, to replace Flair. Well, that's one of the things we talked about why we like Arn so much is because, like, he's better than most, but has no ego about him. Exactly. Which is like, and he just can't even fake it. So as they're walking out to the ring, they show a graphic with Wyndham's last name. That's totally misspelled. Oh, how'd they spell it? <laughs> uh, they didn't have the D. They spelled it W-I-N-H-A-M. Oh, yeah. Win- Winam. The match gets started. Shoulder blocks by Luger. Doesn't take Barry down. They lock back up, and the two each try to hit a suplex to no avail. Wyndham with the shoulder block runs the ropes, but is taken off his feet with hit tossed by Lex Luger. Luger then with the shoulder block runs the ropes. Barry with a leapfrog and a drop kick to th- knock Lex down. Wyndham goes to pick up Luger for a body slam, but Lex cradles him into a small pack. So this match is very, do a move, stall for 30 seconds. Do yeah. a move, stall for 30 seconds. It was very, we have to waste this much. We had a 12-minute match, and yeah. we need to fill 15 minutes or something like that. Well, it's it was also very a vacated start. match, and like Flair does those 45-minute matches, and it's kind of the same deal. It's just these guys don't have the same, pardon the pun, Flair. I mean, I'm, I was I, I, I milked that. But pardon the pun, no pun here. They don't have the charisma. But I think that it's like intelligently done. It's just that, like, nobody fucking wants it. And they tell you constantly. Luger, with a body slam, goes for an elbow drop, but Barry moves out of the way. The two men start firing away with right hands in the corner. Wyndham reverses an Irish whip and hits a back body drop. Side headlock takedown by Barry, reversed into a head scissors by Lex, but Wyndham stands on his head to escape, slapping Luger for good measure. Vertical suplex that is blocked and reversed by Lex to take Barry over. 
body slammed by Wyndham, goes for the figure four, but is kicked off. Barry goes for a big boot that Luger catches and spins him around, hitting an atomic drop. Wyndham running the ropes, shoulder tackle on Lex, starts running again, and Luger locks on the sleeper, but Barry escapes by tossing Lex to the ropes. Wyndham with a leapfrog and locks on a sleeper of his own. Luger escapes by sending Barry face first in the turnbuckle, hits a DDT, and goes Ooh. to the But Wyndham press slams him off, hits a knee drop. Barry then goes to the top rope, but misses an elbow drop of his own as Lex moves. Back body drop by Luger, trio of clotheslines for a near fall, stays on the attack with a back elbow, a power slam, and gets Wyndham up into the torture, torture. rack. So scared that this match was going to end in a torture rack. Terrified. Why wouldn't you want it to end in a torture rack? Torture rack is a move for jobbers. Torture rack is the coolest finisher of all time. I know you're a big Lex guy. I like Lex a lot too. But you can't win a belt. Guys like this, you got to pin the man. I feel like this submission thing is like, oh, well... What are you going to do? I think it's submissions more damaging. It is, but like there's something about submissions where like we'll get into it later. Sorry. I didn't mean to break it up. Lex carries them too close to the cage and Barry kicks off of it to flip out of the rack, hit back suplex, and both men are down. Luger up first, sets Wyndham up on the top turnbuckle, goes for a superplex, which is Barry's move. Fuck you, Lex. Wyndham blocks, and Lex goes flying down to the mat. Barry comes off the top rope with a flying lariat, but Luger is up. (gasps) Wyndham then hits a back body drop, clothesline, body slam for a two-clout. Barry goes back to the top rope to hit Lex with a drop kick for a near fall. Someone's coming down the ramp. It's Harley Race and Mr. Hughes. Yeah, what a weird combination. Harley Race wearing that baby blue that only exists for him. (laughs) He's got his, like, you know, his blazer is that Harley Race baby blue. Wyndham's confused by their appearance as Hughes starts to mess with the cage door, which distracts Barry. Mm -hmm. Harley then yells at Luger. Now Now is the time. And Lex hits a high knee and a pile driver for the pin. And, and the win. It makes sense that they brought like Harley Race out here. We're like, okay, well, who was the guy that had the belt before <laughs> before Ric Flair? Because Ric Flair's been champion for longer than anybody ever needed to. You know, Dusty had his small spat with it, but like Harley Race was the last big long time champion. So they're doing really working really hard to try to put over the fact that Rick's not here. So that would make Lex Luger the new champion. So my question is, was this a double turn? Just Luger turning heel? I don't know. Or is it even a heel turn? Is Is Harley a heel if he's 60 and not wrestling? You know what I mean? I have no clue. It's like, fuck, like, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's like hard to, hard to tell. That's, Confusing. I will say that this crowd is really hard on the Rick stuff throughout the whole show. Just like in random matches, you hear them, 
And in this match, of course, it amps up. But as this match goes on, as this match continues, they get louder and not in a negative way, and they get actually pulled into the match. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that that's really cool because I don't think that this match is bad. I think that it is pretty, pretty fucking good. I mean, once they get going, once they get going, yeah. it's not bad. But I mean, you can say the same thing with a Ric Flair match. It's like, oh, we like it, but they have those those opening things that Ric Flair does. Like Ric Flair can take a forty minute or like a match that should have been twenty minutes, turn it into a forty minute match by doing things that it's like, oh, well, once we get going, but he's Ric Flair, so we expect it out of him. So like Wyndham and Luger, twelve minute match. <laughs> yeah, I think that this was good all the way through. So, do you need that much stalling in a twelve-minute match? That means you—that means you had six minutes of a match, but you had to make it a twelve-minute match. It's—it's it's fine if, like, if this was—I have no qualms with this outside of the fact that they're trying to fucking figure something out. Like, I think this is pretty good considering. I mean, I mean WCW put themselves in between a rock and a hard place on this or one. maybe rick so, was being a dickhead who knows i mean like he wanted money but he wasn't booking anymore but he wanted the same money jim heard wanted him to shape to cut his hair and become spartacus oh, okay he's rick fucking flair okay never mind never mind i didn't know that i just thought i just assumed that booker anymore they were gonna pay him less and he didn't want to get paid less and i was like well you're not booking anymore so you're making less money that's the way it is your job is smaller you're still the fucking still gonna be the champion but spartacus is pretty fucking lame i mean i'd argue that would like you know at least they didn't try to make him oz at least he was like but spartacus it's like oh so i assume that ted turner got the rights to Spartacus and was like, okay, well, we need to sell. We like, we need to put over Spartacus so people will turn into my channel and watch <laughs> Spartacus because I have the rights to air Spartacus now. And it's like, we're airing Spartacus. So it's a three hour movie. So it's going to take you like four and a half hours to watch on cable because we're playing commercials in between it. It's a two night special event. <laughs> Jesus fuck. But yeah, I think that they really did. Well, fuck, there's still another match. I think that yeah. it's a shame that this is not the last match, but let's just continue and we'll get back to it. JR and Tony review the last match, and JR doesn't have any answers to what just happened concerning Harley Race and Lex Luger. Yeah. And then we're off to our 11th match Paul E. Dangerously and the Enforcer, Arn Anderson, LA. versus Missy Hyatt. And Rick Steiner in a mixed gender tag match. And what's the story behind this? Because it just seems like some mid-card bullshit. So the story behind this match was that it was originally supposed to be a six-person tag match. But the, the hardliners of Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater have put Scott Steiner out of action with a bicep. Kayfabe on how truth on the injury. Flair had left. So Wyndham got moved to the world championship match. And what we had left was the feud between Missy Hyatt and Paul E. 
Yeah. As they had many verbal attacks going on, which led to an arm wrestling match on TV, which Misty won by distracting dangerously with her bosom. Oh, I'd like to see that. That sounds hilarious. I just can pick, I can picture Paul Lee's like facial acting, just yeah. acting and uh, awuga eyes and stuff. And that sounds great. I hope uh, Missy was still uh, blonde there. I This is personal taste, and I'm typically not a guy that's uh, into blondes, but Missy Hyatt with this dark hair is not the same. So, obviously, after an arm wrestling match, the natural progression is a steel cage match, right? Missy and Rick make their way down the rampway. Rick ends up getting into the cage... But Missy's out on the outside, like, talking to fans and whatnot. Yeah. When all of a sudden, the hardliners come running down the ramp, grab Hyatt, and drag her back to the locker room. Two dicks. And the, two dicks, <laughs> exactly. As they're going back, some fan grabs Murdoch, so he turns and, and decks him. Oh, dude, it is rough. That guy is pissed, because, like, Kayfabe's alive, I guess, but... Like, they grab Missy, and she's screaming, and it looks like, you know, they're doing their job. It looks good, but that guy grabs, he just decks him. I think maybe the fan may have, like, you know, hit him, but he didn't deck him like this guy decked him. The fan just looked like, you know, a fucking, like, you know, 28-year-old male. He did not look like one of these dicks. So this is the first time we've seen Murdoch since Wrestle War 1989, which was episode 30, and Dick oh, Slater man. since the big event, all the way back in episode 9. Why do I remember their names so well? <laughs> I guess because it's fucking Maybe Dick you Murdoch. Dick? And, yeah, Dick Murdoch. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I love both these guys because I know their names. If somebody was like, hey, you know Dick Murdoch? I'd be like, yeah, he's a wrestler. Captain Redneck. <laughs> but, yeah. I think they're just names from a, from a previous generation that just get name-dropped in, in your uh, shoot interviews and your uh, histories. So the cage door's locked, and it's two-on-one with Paul E. hiding in the corner. Arn with the knee tries to slam Steiner's head into the cage, but is blocked. So Anderson backs away. Rick's running the ropes, hits a shoulder block and a power slam on double A, turns his attention towards dangerously, allowing Arn to come from behind with a knee. I love his like, shitty looks that he gives Polly, where he's just like, I'm going to get you, buddy. Don't worry. Steiner reverses an Irish whip, grabbing Anderson in a bear hug. But Paul E. comes off the top rope with an axe handle to the head to break it up. Dangerously gives one of his cowboy boots to Double A, who comes off the second rope. But Rick catches him with a Steiner line. The dog-faced gremlin starts stalking Paul E. Hits a body slam and a Steiner line for the pin and the the win. And this was unnecessary. Basically sent the crowd home happy. I guess. Yeah, it's like, so, well, at least it's at least we have one Steiner here. And, like, Arn is like, yeah, I'll do... And Arn didn't even do the job. And, like, the it was... This whole match was just, like, a fucking... Like, okay, what can we do 
to like get people we, we interested. Have, we have four minutes that we need that we yeah. need to throw this match but out they, there. They Just... put the Missy Hyang up there earlier, and like she showed up for three seconds and was ran away. It didn't need to be in a cage, but so there, it... there's a reason that Missy got taken to the back before the match started. Okay. The Maryland State Athletic Commission. You might remember from a couple great American bashes ago, the match between Luger and Flair, they got stopped because of the blood. Uh-huh. As strict as they are on no blood, they are oh, all also very also very strict against intergender violence. So the I always thought they were threatened... just a fucking work anyway. No, huh. it's a real thing that like so the commission had threatened to shut down the entire show if Hyatt even made it into the ring. Jesus. Why she played to the crowd while Steiner got into the ring. Well, uh, if that's the case, then this goes to Rick Steiner for really throwing some personality out there with his taunting of Polly in the three minutes that he had on TV because it was really engaging. So JR and Tony review the night, say their goodbyes as Pyro goes off. The credits roll over the Great American Bash logo. And I ask you, Michael Temple, what are your overall thoughts? In my head, this show was better than it it actually is in reality. It is less good than the previous WCW show. It is much worse than Super (laughs) Brawl 1. I don't think Super Brawl 1 is bad. I think this is pretty entertaining and a pretty easy watch but there is no gold here <laughs> no there is nothing that's just like there is watch me watch there me. is there's maybe like bronze here maybe silver maybe, maybe. but maybe. no like yeah if you go out there and read anything about this pay-per-view the mm-hmm. label of worst pay-per-view isn't far behind. While I do think that nothing nothing about the show is redeemable, it's still better than Bunkhouse Stampede. So at least it doesn't get that title from me. I mean, I've seen, we've watched shit that was less entertaining, for sure. But you say the internet says this is one of the worst shows? This is considered the worst pay-per-view of all time. Dude, there's no way that there's some shit that sucks way harder than this. And this is not good at all. I am not putting this show over. I'm just saying that there's no way that it is, like, it's at least fun. There's fun stuff. But it is, there's no good wrestling here, really. There's there's small amounts of stuff that is good, but 97% of the show is not good. It, it just, but it doesn't it does, make it, me mad. No, the show doesn't no. make me mad like that's true. Stampede it, made me mad. Like it, you, that's why I didn't realize how bad it was until we started talking about it. I was like, oh, yeah, there's not really anything here. But it it moves. I agree. It does, it does there's, there's a couple. It, it kind of drags right in the middle mm-hmm. a little bit. But for the most part, it does Oh, you move. mean that 20-minute elimination match? Yeah. And that 17-minute Rock and Roll Express <laughs> and, and then the 20-minute yeah. elimination match. And I, I want to love the RMRG, the the Richard Morton with with Miss York versus Gibson, but like 
I like it. It's just half the time that needed to be. And like I said, I went on that big rant. It's too much too soon. They should have built for it because I think that what they were doing was like six months of a program in one match. But I guess that's my hottest take on this whole show because there's not a whole lot else you could, there's not a whole lot of other hot takes to have here. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So instead of best moments, your top three matches on this show. Top three matches on the show is Lex Wyndham, Nikita Sting, Morton Gibson. For Not necessarily me, in that order, but mine's the. Diamond Stud versus Z-Man. I kind of told you that one earlier. Yeah, I do love Tom Zink. I'm becoming quite the fan. Nikita Sting match. Yeah. And I, it's crazy I even put that on my list because it's a strap match. I mean, Russian chain match. I'm sorry. And then I could care less about every other match on this show. Really? I mean, maybe the Maybe the elimination tag might be my third favorite match, and that's and I still wish it had been it's, less. It's good, but there it should have been, been a tag match. Time. It should not have been through evil. I, I was okay with the the, the six man tag. That mm-hmm. that didn't bother me. It bothered me that it went for twenty minutes, minutes, seventeen minutes to, yeah. sh- to show off Dustin Rhodes. Basically, I mean, it's a it's yeah. a thing to show off Dustin Rhodes. Like, like was... make it, make it twelve minutes. Get those eliminations spread out a little bit you more instead also... of having. Because first elimination doesn't come until the 13-minute mark of the match. Yeah. And we have five eliminations in four minutes. It's like, spread those out a little bit more, and you have a better match. If Also, if the match is shorter, then it looks stronger. Exactly. Um, but I will... Never mind. Oh, no, was that... And then the Johnny championship B- match is... Championship match is like a... Is probably in fifth because I actually like the Johnny B. Bad Yellow Dog match better than it. Damn. I was going to ask you if Johnny B. Bad's sunset was on this show or the last show. It was, it was this show. show, right? Yep. Uh, that sunset alone puts it in at least number four. Because I, I said it was four for me. Oh, was it? Okay, cool. Yellow I Dog. I love the championship match. Pretty, yeah. This show is pretty conflicting but we've watched like capital combat's worse than this right is it i mean i love robocop so like at least robocop's there but like that doesn't make a good wrestling show i mean i think the capital combat there was we've all bitched about bunkhouse enough we know that we don't like that and the complaints of like early jcp stuff where it's like we don't even know what's happening i mean there was some fun stuff on Capital Combat. What about ho- that? Was there anything good on Halloween Havoc? Because we know that that event underperformed. I mean, at least we got Luger and Flair at that Capital Combat yeah. show. I think that is bad. Is as not. I won't. I'm not going to call it outright bad. But as I mean, we had a we had a great Steiner's match at Halloween Havoc. So yeah, is not. Considering this show doesn't have a lot of great wrestling on it, it does. It is not a terribly difficult watch. 
it does flow through other than those yeah. two matches that kind of bogged down a little bit in the middle. Yeah. But, other than that, but I mean, like compared to the show before this, it's like, mm, well, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, this yeah. is pretty rough. But WCW at this point in time is really up and down. It's like every other show is great. It's like they have, they take one step forward, two steps back. And yes, that's true. They have one good idea and then they can't follow through on another idea. Uh-huh. So they're, yeah. And it's weird that like the ideas that they seem to spend the most much the most money and time on are the ones fail that are, that fail completely and then there's like ones that are just like simple and and they're and they're good. It's like the Nikita Koloff Sting thing from like the Steiners the match Sting and Lex had against the Steiners before. Beautiful little flow there and they had about the best strap match they could have had. I think I think it was really good. I thought it was it was decent. I, I liked the the last strap match that we watched. I can't remember who it was, but Dan Hansen. Was it Hansen and Luger? I, I think it was. It was, was definitely Stan Hansen, but maybe it was Luger. But I mean like it was Hansen and Luger. I, I like this one. one I like the way that people were like grabbing onto the ropes and like selling and like the use of the feet and like it got a little sloppy when it was like they counted both of them in the corner. But it paid off for the ending. Yeah, I agree. But when it comes down to it, the best spot of the night is... The bulldog drop Yeah, kick. bulldog drop kick forever. Like, I would say that if this show... This show automatically is not the worst show we've watched because no. of the bulldog drop kick. <laughs> this show could have been, like, just nothing but one-man gang versus big cat six times. Oh God! But then we get the the bulldog drop kick, and it all makes it better. I don't know. I'm sorry. You're, you're making not, it. You're making it hard. That's, you're making it hard on that one. But yeah, I'm. I would say very bummed about the yellow dog thing. I just want Brian Pillman to to fucking hang, to just be in there doing things. We need like, where's our IC title or whatever. The United, it's the U.S. Belt. I know it's the U.S. belt, but it's on left Luger until yeah, like, but like Pil- Luger's so the next big. Show. It's like, yeah, Pillman is only crippled by his size, which is pretty upsetting because he's like just as ripped as Luger. He just is a few inches shorter. So he. So has who do we think? So who do we think the best performer of the night was? That's kind of hard to tell because even though we didn't have great. A series of great matches. There is, I mean, I feel like the the show was designed to put Dustin Rhodes over. I think he mostly delivered, and I thought he did. He did pretty good in his spots. I mean, I really like. I thought Z Man was great. His match. Oh yeah. I've been falling in love with the Z Man slowly over time. Like these last couple of shows, his promo from the last show, and then his match here. It's like, oh man, like. I need a Z-Man t-shirt. It's a stat. Was there anything surprising on this show? I mean, we got our first Steve Austin. I think yeah, that's the... Yeah, we did. I mean, first Steve Austin. We got our first Scott Hall match. Yes. Which he was big and imposing and looked nice. So, like you said, it was one of your favorite matches of the show. Solid, solid shit. I was kind of shocked that they decided to do the rock and roll express against each other match because i feel like 
It was I the wrong time. I feel like it's a few years. It's a few years behind the. They should have done it a few years ago. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. Like when they were hot as a tag team. Yeah, yeah. This is they, like a thing where it's like, oh, seriously okay. cooled off. They didn't anticipate the fact that like giant men were going to start tagging and being great. Yeah. So, like they were big in what if they broke up and had the singles match then would it have not been a hotter feud than being gone for six months and now they're like oh well now we'll do it yeah no it definitely would have been better i think that you know hindsight's 2020 but i just think that in this situation where they're both healthy and they're both working for the same company they should have built up to this in some more significant way and that was a shame to me like i don't think that it was too late i think that it was just ill-conceived like that's my stance on it i wouldn't i would love to see them i would hate to see them do this in 89 when they could have been having the matches that they had in 89 i think that they could have built up to this better and then the and they could have even had this match but it should not have they basically smashed like a trilogy into one match and like that's the main problem is you got to build to the first match and then from the first match it sets up the second one and the second one sets up the third one and you don't really have to do much building in between there but you have to build to the first one and this one didn't really build to the first one and then it smashed your whole your whole trilogy your whole you know six month ten month like full year feud into like one match and it's not bad it's just kind of nonsensical and now for a look back even farther into the history of wrestling the dusty finish jack briscoe had returned from japan as champion and would defend the belt for over a year until december 10th 1975 in miami florida he was supposed to face dory funk jr that night but when dory failed to appear his brother Terry Funk would step up to the challenge to become the 15th NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Terry Funk, born 1944 in Hand, Indiana, where he grew up in the professional wrestling business, starting his career in his father's promotion in 1965. He would spend the first 17 years of his career between Amarillo and Florida's NWA promotions, while also spending a lot of time in All Japan, where he would become a star. For his accomplishments in the world of professional wrestling, Terry Funk would be inducted into the Hardcore WCW, NWA, Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. His title reign would last over a year until a handsome former champion came calling. Funk you! Next week, Violent Storm in Kogugi-Con. Yeah, code. Yeah, you got it. The yeah. G1 Climax Final. Of 1991, I'd imagine. So, what we we were planning on watching the show, New Japan Pro Wrestling World, but we found that only the only match that's on there was the actual final match. And yeah. we were able to find that match actually on Daily Motion. But as we well. also found, as well, we found three other matches 
a couple of them are completely edited down to like literally the last like five minutes of the match, but they're still very interesting. Yeah. And so we put together kind of a compilation of what was available. Of what was available the best of the G1 climax matches and curated like these four matches that we're going to cover next week. So yeah, uh, we'll post links to date uh, for those matches to our Twitter feed. So if you go out there, um, you can find that at wrestling histo X that's wrestling H I S T O X music from this week's show is the theme from great American bash 1991, which was, Leading Edge by Tom Blades and Luger's theme. We got a new champion, so we got a new theme to play. Overdrive. It's called Overdrive by D Wolf Music, which is basically a music library catalog archive type <laughs> thing that yeah. WCW takes all the music. Where, that's where um, Ric Flair got his Star Wars in tune. Exactly. Uh, but Tom Blades, oh, he's just a pretty good name. If you like the show, you can rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or where you find podcasts at. You can always send us any questions, comments, concerns to our email, wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com. And then always just keep looking for us on Twitter. We, we like to tweet out stuff every once in a while. Our favorite matches and whatnot, well, if we find video for them, we'll, we throw them out there on, on Twitter. Thanks for joining us, and, and we'll uh, talk to you next time. week. Bring an umbrella. It's going to be a violent storm. Talk to you next week.